This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Colossians 2 tells us, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now, this is the task of every Christian to live out our faith in the Lord as his disciples. And yet, as my next guest points out, many Christian men today believe the gospel. They're wanting to seek spiritual transformation, but they're frustrated by their lack of spiritual growth. What is the way for men to move toward Christian maturity? A really important question. We're going to talk about it today with Joe Barnard, who is executive director of Cross Training Ministries, a discipleship ministry in Southeast Louisiana, focusing on developing men into spiritual leaders. Joe, so great to have you with us. How are you doing? Very well. It's a privilege to speak with you. Well, it's my privilege to have you here. This is a great subject. I have to say, when I was looking over some of the material on your website, I laughed when you had this chart there on becoming a mature man of God, and you talked about the problem, the seminaries offer too much, churches offer too little, and I laughed when you said, men's breakfasts aren't working, and I, I had to laugh at that one because I said, boy, is that right? They may be fun, but they're not really necessarily enough to disciple men and grow them into Christian maturity. Speak a little, if you would, on this problem that a lot of men have with becoming stronger disciples of Jesus? Yeah, you know, I think there's uh, two angles to approach the problem from. Uh, You could talk about, you know, what is and isn't being offered. Uh, For example, you know, you mentioned the men's breakfast and the the sort of ministries that just are insufficient. I think the more interesting angle, though, is if you just start with the ordinary Christian man himself, because I think often guys are given very uh, superficial and um, limited diagnoses of, of what's going on with them. Uh, the truth is, I think it's an extremely difficult thing in the 21st century for a man to mature. Hmm. Uh, if you just look at the world we live in, I mean, never have we been so distracted. Yeah. I think in terms of just the workload, um, it's a good thing that fathers are being pushed to be more active in the home. But uh, with that comes the challenge of balancing a work and home life, and then churches often throw additional responsibilities. Uh, you know, you've got the fact that often guys really don't understand, one, what maturity is, or how all of these things that they get asked to do, like reading their Bible and praying and going to small group, how these things connect in what they're supposed to be ultimately pursuing. And so at the end of the day, I think you have men that are frustrated, uh, they're confused, uh, they're lost, they've tried things that don't work. And so I don't think we should be surprised. I think men uh, are struggling, and what they really need is someone who can show them what the way forward is. Yeah, I agree with you there. So you're talking about an itinerary Uh, That's how you phrase it in your book about what that road to Christian maturity looks like. How do you define it? If some man comes up to you and says, all right, you're right. The plan is it were is not very well defined. I don't really know where I'm going necessarily. Where would you tell men they are supposed to be going as Christians? You know, I would start with just stark honesty, because I think you can pick up any number of leadership books that will give a simplistic and just partial uh, explanation of either what it means to be a leader or even Christian books, what it means to be mature. And the first thing I want to tell guys is I'm going to be honest with you. And maturity, this is a lifelong goal. And so there are no shortcuts. It is a long road that leads to maturity in Christ. 
And so the way to begin is to begin to think about, well, what are the qualities? What are the conditions that you see in men? And it's not just men, but Christians who have dynamic walks with God. And then, you know, when you start there, you can begin to talk about, well, these are the the characteristics of their heart. This is the kind of perspective they have. have. These are the relationships that are in their life. These are the kind of core skills that give them competence. You know, this is the kind of motivational basis. And so, you know, on the one hand, that can be a little overwhelming, but at least it's honest enough to point men to direction. And I think, you know, if you can begin to get a vision of Christian maturity, it ought to be compelling because at the end of the day, we are being called uh, to reflect Jesus, who is the image of God. And so if men can see this, you know, it's the most compelling vision that you could possibly have. It's truly a glorious vision. And so I want to give men that vision. And then as they begin to see it, we can begin to lay some uh, some tracks down for them to follow to get there. Right. So it would be your position, it would seem, from what you've said in your book, that on the one hand, you don't want to give men such an oppressive list of perfection that they never can live up to it. And on the other hand, you don't want to undermine their growth by giving them a really, really low bar. All you have to do is this little tiny thing and you're there. How do you find that middle ground that actually is biblical when you're laying out a plan for Christian maturity for men? So they're not discouraged and they're also not given a pass on what they ought to be doing as Christians. Yeah. So I, I like to talk to men about the idea of a, of, of a baseline candidate. Um, so we're not we're going to take perfection out of the picture. But again, let's start with that picture of what do you see in the lives of men who are growing? And, you know, we can begin to talk about some traits there. So, you know, I would begin with this idea of captivation. Hmm. You know, men who are growing, they have seen something in Jesus that is more compelling than is offered elsewhere. And even though they might stray, at the end of the day, if you could ask them, what do you really want? You know, they want to know Jesus. They want to become more like him. And they may be struggling, but their heart really has been gripped in that sense of having been captivated. And so that propels them in that direction. And, uh, you know, you can talk about, uh, I talked to men about the idea of clarity, the idea that, you know, this recognition that, uh, that this is going to be a difficult task. You know, our world sets us up to view this uh, life as a playground, and so many men end up disappointed because uh, <laughs> it's clear from the New Testament and from our own experience that there is a lot of suffering. There's a lot of affliction. There are a lot of dreams that never are fulfilled. And uh, what we need is we need an accurate perspective to say, hey, yes, God wants to get me to this place of maturity. I need to not be surprised if the road there feels a little bit like the wilderness, feels a little bit like being in the furnace. And, uh, you know, we we can talk more about, um, again, the kind of relationships and other things. But, um, you know, I think, again, initially, let's catch a vision. And then once we have that vision, then we can begin to say, okay, do you not sense that your heart is captivated? Uh, do you sense that actually you care far more about success or you care far more about uh, your health or about your physique than you actually do about uh, Jesus, and about holiness? Well, that's all right. If we know that, we can talk, okay, what are some things that Christians can do that can help open their heart up to behold more of the beauty of Jesus? Um, so in a sense, there's always a diagnosis aspect, yeah. trying to understand, okay, well, what specifically is a man struggling with? And then what is the next thing? (laughs) What is the tweak that's really going to make the difference? Because so often I think where discipleship fails is, uh, you know, we're either 
doing things that are ineffective or there's things that don't truly meet the need of the person in front of us. Yeah, that's really important. Well, you say for you, one of the men who captivated you in your walk with Christ was Jim Elliott. And of course, many of us have been greatly impacted by Jim Elliott's story and Elizabeth Elliott and the telling of that story of how he was killed, you know, as a martyr missionary. What difference did it make for you as a Christian looking to what the Lord did through the life of Jim Elliott? You know, uh, I like to say that, that, that people who are bored with godliness are people who have never encountered the godly. Hmm. Uh, often when we, you know, the, the images that pop in our head, if you think of a holy person, uh, the truth be told, they're not people that we necessarily even would want to be like. For me, with reading uh, Jim Elliott's biography, and it happened both kind of late teenage years, it happened again when I was a pastor in Scotland and uh, in my early 30s, but it was this picture of a man who was so holistically committed to Jesus. I mean, there was something that he had tasted of God that was so good that it surpassed whatever else was available um, in this world. And, uh, you know, his whole life story, um, his, his choices and his actions, his approach to, to dating, his approach uh, to the mission field was an outcome of that fundamental uh, heart that he had that was gripped by that vision of holiness. And so for me to see that, it was like, you know, for the first time, if you know, if you're a young boy and you love basketball and, you know, you've never seen the pros play and you get to see LeBron James and it's like, I can't believe, I didn't know you could do that with this game. (laughs) You know, there's so much more than I ever imagined. And uh, it kind of leveled some of the other uh, aspirations or leveled some of the other things that had gripped my heart and said, okay, Man, if I had one thing, if God said, you know, what do you want? I, I thought to myself, I want a heart that hungers for you like I see in this man. I love it. And that's what I want guys to have. I want them to not just have uh, role models and mentors, but to have heroes as well. Yep. To find those examples of godliness yep. that grip their hearts. Absolutely. We're going to pause. Joe Barnard is with us. The Way Forward, a roadmap of spiritual growth for men in the 21st century is his book. We'll come back to the discussion after this on Janet Meffer Today. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light gives his thoughts on the scourge of abortion. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. And that's why Kevin Sorbo also supports preborn. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Will you join us in the cause for life? By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. We are back. Thanks for being with us, and it's great to have here Joe Barnard, who is executive director of Cross Training Ministries and author of the book The Way Forward: A Roadmap of Spiritual Growth for Men in the Twenty First Century. Some really practical things in this book for men who are just feeling a little stuck and a little stalled in their Christian lives. And we've been discussing, for example, the the issue of captivation. And you were saying, Joe, before we went to the break, how captivated you were by the you know the martyr Jim Elliot and the story of how sold out he was for Jesus Christ. But another one of the things that you mentioned, the aspects of a baseline candidate for spiritual growth is clarity. Now, what sort of clarity do you think men need in order to get on the road to serious discipleship? You know, uh, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who many uh, Christians may have encountered, uh, wrote a book 50, 60 years ago that, you know, talked about this world uh, not being a playground, but a battlefield. And I think that that idea is still so relevant to our culture because, you know, really what most men inherit from pop culture and uh, just growing up in, in the 21st century is this idea that life is a playground. And, you know, really when there's a playground, there's only a few rules. You know, you have as much fun as you can. Uh, you try not to hurt anybody. And, um, you know, that really is the sum total of, of what life is about. And, you know, the truth is the Bible has a very different picture. Uh, if we want to do justice to the way the apostles talk about abstaining from the passions of the flesh, or, uh, you know, Paul talks about, you know, our, we wage a warfare is not it's these carnal things, but, you know, there's these invisible principalities and powers. We've got to understand that this life is a battlefield. Yes. And men, they don't just need to hear that. They need to believe it because a lot of the distress, um, a lot of the anxiety, uh, some of the depression, not all of it, but a lot of the, the kind of uh, ailments that we're struggling with, some of it comes from just a uh, a lack of the perspective that God would give us when mm-hmm. he says, you know, there is a devil. <laughs> yeah. There is sin within our heart. There is a world that is filled with distraction. And if we go in without preparation, without body armor, without the kind of weaponry God would give us, we're going to get hurt. And, and a lot of us are being hurt uh, due to the really naivety. Oh, so that's absolutely. with this idea of clarity. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I thought as you were saying that Tozer's one of my favorite writers, too. And I thought a reading Tozer mm. is a good way to get clarity because he's one of those very, yes. very clear Christian writers, for sure. He's definitely challenging. I have a question, Joe, because I think this comes up a lot when people are talking about this issue. One of the things that has been on the table for, I would say, a number of decades now is the issue of the feminization of the church, which concerns me, even though I'm female. I don't like the feminization of the church either. 
the problem that a lot of men have with a lot of churches. When I go there, it just feels so female. Not that you're going to bring clubs to church and start, you know, wearing caveman costumes or something like that. Nobody's saying that. But what about that particular obstacle that men are saying, I go to church with my wife. I know I'm supposed to be there with my family. But when I'm there, it, it just doesn't feel like it fits me. I've had a lot of men talk like that. And I'm sure you've heard some of those sorts of comments as well. How do you deal with that issue of men feeling like Christianity is just a little too girly for me? You know, I think there, there's two things. The first thing I tell guys is get over it. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, we, we like to uh, be critical of, say, a lot of the, the lovey-dovey language of, of modern praise music. But the truth is, if you read any uh, devotional literature from the history of Christianity, you will find men uh, from early Christianity, medieval Christianity, the, you know, the Reformation and, and more modern, writing poetry that, that sounds like love poetry about Jesus. And mm-hmm. so on the one hand, if we can't uh, reflect these feelings in our own life, we're missing something. Because a lot of the manliness of Christians, guys like Samuel Rutherford of Scotland, mm-hmm. you read his letters and it drips with some of these sentiments. So there's that aspect. But then on the other hand, I don't want to deny that, that these guys aren't seeing something that's right. And, uh, and I think where I would go is it's not so much about structural change, you know, trying to change the worship service, but men need real camaraderie. Yeah. You know, they need uh, groups that, like we said earlier, don't just eat bacon together <laughs> or don't just plan a sporadic camp out and expect everybody to all of a sudden emote on the spot when there's no real relationship. Yeah. You know, they need uh, something like real bands of brothers where they can talk about their struggles, they can get the support and accountability they need, and uh, can, can share life together. And, you know, most churches don't really have um, the kinds of men's ministry that, that men need, and most men aren't very good. I think that's where we're really poor as men, is we don't go and seek these kinds of relationships, which leaves us lonely and vulnerable. Right. And, and it's in the best interest of women for men to grow in Christian maturity. I mean, I think that there's sometimes a misnomer that women just want to run everything. And, and frankly, there are a lot of biblical women who are saying we want the men to step up. So it can work together right. as men are, are being discipled as, you know, followers of Jesus Christ. That helps everybody. That helps the entire church. So as to the plan, Joe, when you're talking about the plan for men to get on the road to Christian maturity, you give some really practical tips in here, which I think are great for memorization, for example, completing the topical memory system. I think that's fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about why that is important? Yeah. You know, again, there's a, there's a couple of reasons. Um, most, most men are scared to death if you talk about memory work, uh, because very few of us you know, in this day and age feel like we have strong memories. Uh, but there's two reasons that, that it's so important to do memorization. One is the, the cultural issue that a lot of the largest companies on the planet uh, the commodity that they're after is our attention, and they're very good at distracting us. And if we don't strengthen our ability to focus and, and choose what we pay attention to, then we are just victims of uh, you know whatever efforts they're doing. So there's that defensive aspect, but more importantly, Psalm 1 makes it very clear. Uh, there's only two types of people. Uh, some are blown around like chaff, and others are like trees. And the difference is meditating on God's Word. Okay. And what memorization does is it allows us to focus and focus upon the Word of God until it really is integrated within our soul. And it's about that meditation. And through that meditation, there's real strength um, that can enable us to withstand storms and to uh, withstand droughts. And so I would just say, yes, we're all scared of memorization, but I would challenge not just men, but women. Mm -hmm. I have yet to find a Christian 
who devoted serious time to scripture memory work that didn't say that was transformative. Yes. It really was worth the effort. Yes, that's absolutely true. Something else you mentioned is that men need to strengthen the muscles that enable self-control. Now, what what role does self-control play in spiritual maturity? How would you flesh that out for men? Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of us are scared of it. You know, it sounds like it's uh, just self-effort. Um, and so it sounds kind of uh, sub-spiritual. But we've got to remember that uh, Paul was willing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, to say, you know, all who run in a race run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Yeah. And he says, you know, those that compete, they exercise self-control in all things. Um, and they do it for, you know, a perishable wreath. You know, we do it for an uh, imperishable one. But he then goes on to use his own example. He says, therefore, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. And so we see that, you know, Paul is willing to say, you know, that he needed self-control. You know, he disciplined his life. And uh, that's why, you know, one of the part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And the reason it's so vital to have it is on the one hand, without self-control, you will you will just drift. You yes. will passively conform uh, to the world around you. But, you know, it's not just about not passively conforming. We want actively to be pursuing something. And uh, in order to be active and in order to remember the vision that we have and to uh, make progress along that path, it requires self-control. And so it's just one of these uh, character traits uh, that I think Christians are hearing too little about right now because people are fearful that it might lead them into that kind of self-effort pit. Yeah, you're right about that. What about persisting in the fundamentals? You actually have a number of great ideas here for men moving forward in Christian maturity. But when you talk about persisting in the fundamentals, what would you characterize as the fundamentals for growing in Christ? Yeah, you know, we, we live in an age where everybody wants the life hack, right? They, you know, they want <laughs> the, the silver bullet and they want something that's cool and uh, trendy. Uh, the truth is, you know, what's, what's true in sports is true uh, in spirituality, and that's that it's the fundamentals that really make the difference. And so, you know, for Christians, uh, being in God's Word, uh, you know, spending time in prayer, showing up at church. I mean, how many men will let, you know, their wife take the kids uh, three out of four weeks, and they might show up once a month? Right. Uh, if you are a man and you're serious about growth, it begins with the fundamentals, and that's, you know, showing up at church, reading your Bible, uh, spending time in prayer, you know, seeking out uh, friendships, people who will support you, these really basic things that you don't feel the difference, you know, immediately after every quiet time. But I tell you what, if you miss six months, uh, you're going to also notice that you're going to have all kinds of issues. Right. And that's where a lot of men, a lot of our problems come in. You know, there's a lack of uh, just basic consistency in these fundamentals and it you know it causes problems down the road yeah you're right it's I mean there there are really great parallels with physical exercise um, when you're looking at some of these things that we do need to do every single day as Christians and you know what what do you outline as the goal because men are very goal oriented where am I headed with this what if what am I really doing this for and we talk about the prize that with the upper call in Christ Jesus we know fixing our eyes on Christ the finisher author and finisher of our faith we know eventually where we're headed is heaven but as far as giving right. men, you know, some designated point where this is where you're headed, do you do that sort of thing in your ministry with men, give them actual goals to hit? Or does that seem a little too, you know, a little too weird to do it that way? I'm not sure what the best way is to communicate that. But do you do something like that? Yeah, you know, uh, for example, I've got a 12 week program, guys are about to, to, to take another round through. And, you know, in this, I make it very simple. Look, for, for 12 weeks, 
give me your first 15 minutes, your last 15 minutes, and here's what I want you to do. Uh, here's a plan on Sunday to spend some more time with God. Let's do some bodily discipline. You know, here's some simple rules you can follow for, you know, digital minimalism to, to kind of break your attachment to your phone, to, to you know, watch how much you uh, are investing in video games and in TV. I think, truth be told, a lot of guys, they're desperate for the concrete help. They don't just want the abstract advice. They want... Give, give me a plan. Give yeah. me some training wheels. You know, eventually I need to be mature and free and able to direct myself, but I'm not there. I'm stuck in a rut. And so I think it's, it's fundamental. Make it simple. Make it concrete. Lay a track. And ultimately, if you're asking the big picture, you want guys that are free. Good. Not free in the sense of doing whatever they want to do. Free to be who God has created them to be. Perfect. Xtrainingministries.com is the website. Joe Barnard from Cross Training Ministries. His book, The Way Forward. Thank you so much, Joe, for being with us. And we'll be right back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. It's interesting. I've been getting some feedback on social media about how COVID-19 has affected the church and how all of these riots and the tumult that we're seeing in the streets have affected the church. And I have been at once disheartened and also encouraged because I think on the one hand, you have seen a great weakness in a lot of churches who have just rolled all over themselves to keep their churches closed, even beyond what the state is requiring of them. And then on the other hand, you have Christians who say, I may get in trouble for this, but I'm opening the church doors because I'm looking at the data and I'm looking at the fact that this has been stretching on now for six months. You guys keep saying that we we have no rights, but we do have rights under the First Amendment and enough. And so they open up because they are wanting to obey the Lord. And so I think that really the crises of our times... COVID-19, the riots, destroy America, the election coming up, all of these things that are going on right now are bringing out both the worst in the church and I think the best in the church. And here's a case in point. I have told you before about North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. This is this pastor, Larry Treber, who has been very faithful in getting that church back open because he understands there's not a big crisis. Uh, Jack Treber is his name. There's not a big crisis here in his particular county and how much of an emergency can it really be? And let's get on with it. He's opened up his church doors and now... He has been fined more than $100,000, even more than that. There was an ABC7 report there in Santa Clara County on what the church is doing, and there is actually a likelihood that they could face criminal charges. What are you going to do? Haul off the pastor and throw him in the prisons? I mean, really? You throw him in a prison cell? For having church, which he has the right to do under the First Amendment, show me a law on the California books that says when there is a virus that kills less than 0.5% of the population, then we can shut down your church forever or at least until November. 
Where's the law? Where's the California legislature? That's a whole nother subject that I've talked about before. At what point is an emergency order no longer an emergency and the legislature actually has to weigh in? But I want to play a little bit for you of this ABC7 report because there is within this report, I think, a lot of stuff that really kind of reveals what's going on in the minds of those who want to be tyrants. So let's listen first. This is a reporter by the name of Dan Noyce who reported on what's been going on lately at North Valley Baptist Church. This is cut one. Crowds have streamed into Santa Clara's North Valley Baptist over the past several weeks. The church can hold 3,000 people. I went there on a recent Sunday to ask why they are breaking state and county guidelines that help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and what steps they might be taking to protect the congregation. At first, they said I could attend the service if I didn't bring in my camera, but then they changed their mind saying it's private property. I also asked more than a dozen members to discuss the coronavirus pandemic, how they see the risk of attending church, they all declined. What a wonderful day in God's house with a great crowd. Pastor Jack Treber said last night's service marked six months since the church was shut down over COVID-19. Since resuming services, he's been hit with $102,500 in fines. He appealed to county officials. One, I'm asking you to stop all fines. And two, I'm asking you to remove all fines. This is not Caesar's money. This is God's money. I mean, how low do you have to go to actually levy fines of $102,000 on a church for the crime of opening and worshiping God, which they have the right to do under the First Amendment? How low can you go? I mean, this is California we're talking about. But then the reporter talks to the Santa Clara County Council, the attorney, James Williams. Check this out. This is crazy. This is cut two. Why is it important that they don't hold those in-person services? Well, from everything we've learned about COVID-19, and we've learned a lot in the last several months, one of the key principles that we have learned so far is that uh, outdoors is safer than indoors. Across the country, hundreds of COVID-19 cases have been linked to religious services. One congregation had a third of its members infected and three deaths tied to the virus. I was there when county workers plastered the doors of North Valley Baptist with yet another cease and desist letter. Sir, if you don't leave. Really block my camera. Is there actually the possibility of a criminal charge? Well, you know, violation of the health orders is a crime. Uh, so that's absolutely uh, something that's available. Wonderful. That's just great. So let the rioters go crazy. But make sure that you find the churches and potentially go after them criminally. I'm not saying that they're about to do that, but he's not saying the opposite either. He's not saying, well, it's a church. I'm sure we can resolve it. We don't want to go after a church. I I don't hear anybody in California saying we don't want to go after a church. And by the way, did you catch how the reporter slipped in that little linked to, you know, I did a blog post not too long ago on garbage journalism and how they keep reporting that churches have all sorts of coronavirus cases linked to them. What does linked to them mean? Does that mean that they have done very, very careful analysis of contact tracing and they have determined that X number of people from the church 100% spread coronavirus to these people and these people all contract it? No. If you, that's what my blog post was all about. 
you go to the linked to language and you find out when you do a careful analysis of the data that it's bogus. I'm not saying nobody has ever caught coronavirus after attending a church service. I'm just saying the media lies. Can you blame these people for not wanting to talk to the media? I wouldn't talk to them either. They're not there to talk about the First Amendment. They're not there to talk about religious freedom. They're not there to talk about tyrannical government. They're there to make the church feel guilty for wanting to get together and worship the Lord. What you know what? M-Y-O-B. That's what I would say. Mind your own business. Why don't you worry about your power outages there in California because you're turning the state into a third world country with your green new deals. Yeah, that, that's a wonderful thing. Again, I'm digressing a little bit, but one more cut I want to play from this ABC7 news report on the North Valley Baptist Church. Listen to cut three. At last night's service, Pastor Treber urged the congregation to take some precautions. You get a temperature or you get one of these symptoms, please don't come to church. Please don't come to church. Please stay home and make sure that you're not infectious. But his wife sent this email to members with permission from the pastor saying, COVID is not a death sentence. Should you get COVID, the less you talk about it, the better off everyone will be. Doctors will ask you questions, shake their heads, and then turn in their report to the county. Lisa Gilmore is the mayor of Santa Clara. That's unfortunate because part of us getting through this and and, and having a more healthy community is Um, uh, the tracing and the testing, we're doing that constantly. That's lovely. Isn't that lovely? Do you see how he organized the report? You had the pastor saying clear as day to his congregation, if you have symptoms and you have any concerns whatsoever that you may be a carrier of COVID-19, stay home. Don't come here if you have symptoms. We don't want people to become sick. And then what does he do next? But the pastor's wife wrote this letter, this email to the congregation. I'm going to selectively pick out a few phrases from it to make it sound like the pastor and his wife are not on the same page. What they're trying to do is make the pastor look like a liar is why they're doing it in that order. The pastor said, stay home if you have symptoms, but we all know what they're really telling their church. If you have COVID, spread it around, right? Is that what the church is doing? Of course not. Of course they're not doing that. But you don't have any sympathy whatsoever from the media for the other side of the story, do you? All you have is disdain. They wouldn't talk to us. They didn't want us to film them. Well, maybe they don't trust you. Because they look at what you guys report every day. They look at your garbage journalism. They look at the fact that you throw in all sorts of unverifiable, non-statistical information about linked cases to churches. And there were three deaths out of how many people? Out of how many cases? Did those people have underlying health conditions? Were those people diabetics? Did those people have heart problems? We're not going to talk about that linked you understand? It's all about linked. They were linked to churches. Of course, you never have any COVID cases linked to Black Lives Matter riots. You don't have any cases linked to any sort of Antifa action going on in Portland. Oh, no, 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 no. To be a part of the woke is to make sure that you never have a virus that would ever be infectious because you're doing the Lord's work. Oh, wait a minute. You don't believe in the Lord. You're out there burning Bibles. I'm telling you guys, this is where we are as a country. And what does this say about the state of California in the context of the larger battle in America right now? We're going to get into that when we come back. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Stay with us.
Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28 and every gift helps. To donate, please call now 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, continue to pray for North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, as well as the other churches that are standing firm against tyrannical governments. Guys, look at the statistics. I'm looking at this, for example, from Daniel Horowitz, who over at Conservative Review, who's quoting from our friend, Dr. Andrew Boston. We've had him on the show a number of times. He's an epidemiologist and a clinical trialist. And he has been doing all of the data spreadsheeting on the issue of COVID-19 and universities. And it's amazing. They have tons of cases reported at universities across the United States. But according to this data that has been compiled by Dr. Bostom, of all the cases in 17 state university systems, as of the 4th of September, there's not even one single hospitalization. Not to mention no deaths, no hospitalizations. Nobody is saying that COVID-19 cannot be deadly. What, what we are saying is, why are we freaking out about this? Why are we still shut down? Why are we wearing these stupid masks that we know don't work? Why? Why are we so compliant? Why are we willing to sit here and get rid of our freedom? If it were the Black Plague, we'd all go along with it. But the data does not back any of this up. And I'm wondering, where are the Americans fighting back? Why does this matter? It matters for a lot of reasons, because fundamentally, we are free people, especially as Americans, we're free people. And sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes we are more than willing to sit back and watch the left riot in the streets and be free, as it were, to voice their political opinions while we sit back nicely in our chairs and just wait for it to pass. I mean, there's this story today. I'm going to digress just for a second, because this is such 
the opposite of what we're seeing with churches like North Valley Baptist Church. Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee, this is from Baptist Press, has begun to meet in person again, but the church's online presence remains strong. Now they want to consider permanent changes because of the pandemic. I'm sorry, but permanent? Why in the world would you make permanent changes? Well, they're going to make things more permanent in terms of online ministry. In recognition of the new reality, they say, Long Hollow has begun the process of creating an intentional permanent online church ministry, which includes hiring an online specific pastor, finding ways to facilitate membership remotely, as well as conducting the ordinances, we're talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper, and small groups in cities hours or even states away. I'm not imputing the pastor here. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm not saying the church has ill will. I'm just going, what are you doing? Why would you do this? Go back to church. You don't have to have online ministry. And by the way, the statistics are showing that fewer and fewer Christians are tuning into online services anymore anyhow. So why would you want to make that permanent? Aren't we all sick of Zoom at this point? Why would we want one more thing on the internet? We need more things in person. So let's talk about this in light of the bigger issue. There was an article here at the American Mind. Really, really good. Michael Anton wrote this, the coming coup, question mark. Democrats are laying the groundwork for revolution right in front of our eyes. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through all of this, but I'm going to get through as much as I can of it because it's important. As if 2020 were not insane enough already, we now have Democrats and their ruling class masters openly talking about staging a coup. You might have missed it. What with the riots, lockdowns and other daily mayhem we're forced to endure in this, the most wretched year of my lifetime, but it's happening. It started with the military brass quietly indicating that the troops should not follow a presidential order. They were bolstered by many former generals, including President Trump's own first secretary of defense, who stated openly what the brass would only hint at. Then, as nationwide riots really got rolling in early June, the sitting Secretary of Defense himself all but publicly told the president not to invoke the Insurrection Act. His implicit message was, Mr. President, don't tell us to do that because we won't. And you know what happens after that. All this enthused Joe Biden, who threw subtlety to the winds. The former U.S. senator and vice president has not once, not twice, but thrice confidently asserted that the military will escort Trump from the White House with great dispatch should the president refuse to leave. Another former VP, Al Gore, publicly agreed. Okay, now stop for a moment. Do you really believe that Trump wouldn't leave the White House if he weren't reelected? They're making this up. It's a gaslighting maneuver. But he goes on, one might dismiss such comments as the ravings of a dementia patient and a has-been who never got over his own electoral loss. But before you do, consider also this. Over the summer, a story was deliberately leaked to the press of a meeting at which 100 Democratic grandees, anti-Trump former Republicans, and other ruling class apparatchiks got together on George Soros's dime to game out various outcomes of the 2020 election. One such outcome was a clear Trump win. In that eventuality, former Bill Clinton White House Chief of Staff John Podesta, playing Biden, refused to concede, pressured states that Trump won to send Democrats to the formal electoral college vote and trusted that the military would take care of the rest. The leaked report from the exercise darkly concluded that technocratic solutions, courts and reliance on elites observing norms are not the answer here promising that what would follow the November election would be a street fight, not a legal battle. 
Over the summer, two former Army officers, both prominent in the Democrat-aligned national security think tank world, wrote an open letter to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs in which they urged him to deploy the 82nd Airborne Division to drag President Trump from the Oval Office at precisely 12.01 p.m. on January 20th. About a month later, Hillary Clinton declared publicly that Joe Biden should not concede the election under any circumstances. The old English major interprets the word any to mean none, nada, zero, etc. This doesn't sound like the rhetoric of a political party confident it will win the election. These items are, to repeat, merely a short but representative list of what we are seeing in terms of this potential coup. Byron York, for example, as he cites from the Washington Examiner, seems to think this is just harmless fantasizing on the part of the ruling class. But this writer says he's not so sure. Machiavelli goes out of his way to emphasize the indispensability of operational security to success. The first rule of conspiracy is you do not talk about the conspiracy. And the second rule is you do not talk about the conspiracy. So why are they? Why are they talking about all this? Because they know that for it to succeed, it must not look like a conspiracy. They need to plant the idea in the public mind now that their unlawful and illegitimate removal of President Trump from office will somehow be his fault. Never mind the pesky detail that the president would refuse to leave only if he were convinced he legitimately won. Remember, Biden should not concede under any circumstances. The second part of the plan is either to produce enough harvested ballots, lawfully or not, to tip closed states or else dispute the results in closed states and insist no matter what the tally says that Biden won them. The worst case scenario for the country, but not for the ruling class, would be results in a handful of states that are so ambiguous and hotly disputed that no one can rightly say who won. Of course, that won't stop the Democrats from insisting that they won. The public preparation for that has also already begun. Streams of stories and social media posts explaining how while on election night, it might look as if Trump won, close states will tip to Biden as all the mail-in ballots are counted. The third piece is to get the vast and loud Democratic left propaganda machine ready for war. That leaked report exhorted Democrats to identify key influencers in the media and among local activists who can affect political perceptions and mobilize political actions who could establish pre-commitments to playing a constructive role in event of a contested election, i.e. in blaring from every rooftop that Trump lost. And at this point, it's safe to assume that unless Trump wins in a blowout that can't be overcome by cheating and or denied via the ruling class's massive propaganda operation, that's exactly what every Democratic politician and media organ will shout. These people are serious and they are organized and they are well-funded. And in some cases, I would say some of them, at least from my observations, are completely demonized. I've had a lot of discussions about this with people lately and Christians who say, you know, all you can do to explain some of this is just demonic. You look at their eyes, you look at their their rants and how they're just, they're out of it. Like they, you can't reason with them. You can't speak to them. You can't have a conversation with them. It's like they're possessed. And then we say, well, well maybe that's what's going on. I mean, you don't want to laugh about it because there's nothing funny about it. But all I can say is, as, as, encouraging as it is to see things like the well-attended boat parades that have taken place on behalf of the Trump campaign over the last several weeks. Those are great and people get really encouraged and enthusiastic or you have people coming out and flying their flags and all the rest. That's all great, but that is not going to stop what is to come, folks. 
that's not going to stop what is to come. And think for a moment about what these people, if they're willing to do that to Trump and they're willing to do that to somebody who has the ultimate power in the United States, what more will they do to the church? Christianity is a threat. Do you understand? That's why they want the churches shut down. That's why they don't want us to open. Christians are a threat because we serve the living God whom they really want to overthrow in the spiritual realm. They can't do it, but they can come after us. And we have to exert our rights as Americans and stand on the word of God and say, I will do what the Lord commands me to do. I will obey God rather than man when man is forcing me to do what God has said don't do or to tell me not to do what God has said that I need to do. We need to think biblically in times like these. Thanks for joining us on Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time. 